Hello, I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Katie Sewell. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. Now, last week on episode 375, titled Sea Adventure to Alaska, we talked about a recent boat trip I took up the Inland Passage from Seattle to Sitka, Alaska, on a 1965 classic cruising yacht called the Sea Star. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, start there, because today I'm going to be answering some follow-up questions that were submitted by listeners. And let's just jump right in. I'm reading these off the cuff, so hopefully I'll have some good answers. (laughs) Uh, Dana sent in a few questions. She wrote, Number one, after most of us spent a year or more feeling trapped in a small space, our homes, how did this experience of being trapped in a small space feel different or transformative? Why would one be stifling and the other one an amazing, life-changing experience? Well, I think it's in part because being stuck in wherever you live for such a long period of time, rarely going anywhere, of course there are things that are changing outside your window, but in general, the space is sort of a stagnant space, especially the longer that you are in it, at least for me. Uh, now, that's not to say that I didn't come up with some nice routines. I didn't, I didn't start to use the house in a different way. But even though the boat was small and I was sharing it with a whole bunch of other people, seven passengers and five crew members, it's always moving. And so it's almost, I guess the most equivalent would be what it feels like to be on a train when the landscape outside of it is constantly shifting, it doesn't feel like you're stuck in one place because you're literally not stuck in one place, I guess. Um, I mean, not only that, but I had never been aboard a boat for a long period of time. So it was an opportunity to learn about something I knew nothing about, getting tours from the captain of the engine room, just asking them about what it's like to live life every year with a vast majority of your life being at sea, it just feels like I got to get to know an entirely different expansive world that a lot of people live in on a regular basis. And honestly, it's kind of changed my appreciation for Seattle because Seattle has a large fishing community here and a transient population that comes in and out throughout the course of the year. And I always knew something about that because I had a friend who worked on fishing boats but now I kind of feel and I I do know that a fishing boat is a very different experience than a classic touring yacht but that said I now have an appreciation for the rhythm of what it is to be on the ocean rather than being on land and you know an appreciation also for why people fall in love with that and want that to be a part of their lives. And, you know, throw in a bunch of wildlife outside the window where at any moment a face might pop out of the water. I came to think of the ocean as being a place filled with potential faces because sometimes you'd just be standing on the deck looking out to what seems just like a calm 
sea and all of a sudden you'd just see two eyes pop up and it would be a sea lion going past or you'd see something that looks like a log and as it gets closer you realize it's an otter there was just so much possibility out there i mean not only that i have sunglasses that kind of allow me to be able to see down into the water whatever shade they are they it really works to be able to see what's going on below the surface and I remember standing on the deck once and looking down and seeing layers and layers of jellyfish of all different colors and shapes and sizes. And just even the kaleidoscope of that was wondrous. So I don't know. I, I mean, it it is a small ship cruise vessel that I was on. And my house is also small. It just did not feel the same. It felt expansive rather than contracting. That was a long answer. <laughs> uh, Dana also asks, what are the basic logistics? What did you eat? Where does the sewage go? How many people were on the crew and what were their jobs? How loud was the boat motor? I ate really well. They had a chef aboard the boat who made breakfast, lunch, and dinner and often used a recipe book that was given to him by his mother, I believe, or his family had compiled it. And so he had a kind of down-home cooking style, but an elevated down-home cooking style. Really, really tasty, very creative in his variety. And, and if anything, I felt like I was constantly eating on the boat. So that's one of the things about uh, going on a yacht, I suppose, versus a fishing vessel. I mean, that's a, another thing I've been thinking a lot about is those people that work on boats that you don't think of. Like, of course you think of the captain. Of course you think of the first mate. Or if you've watched the show The Deadliest Catch or something like that on TV, you think of the people who are throwing the crab pots overboard. But do you think of the chef who's down in the boat preparing food for all of these people? And what kind of chef works on a giant boat in the Bering Sea, where life is extremely dangerous versus work somewhere else. I just, I found that very interesting to contemplate that there is a, not only this whole fleet of fishermen, there's this whole fleet of people who cook aboard ships. And our chef had prior been on a different boat where he didn't have to cook for seven passengers, he had to cook for a hundred people. And what a different lifestyle that that would have been for him. Um, where does the sewage go? As far as I know, the sewage is held in a tank and then they pump it out when they refuel. But I could be wrong on that. I did not get to major discussions about the sewage. I do believe that the sewer system uh, was supplied by salt water, but the sewage was not being dumped into the salt water. The crew was four people, well, five if you count the cook. There was a captain, there was a first mate, both were responsible for running the ship and for driving the ship. Uh, the captain knew a lot about engineering, so he was the one when things broke, he was the one that was up all night fixing it, figuring out what the problem is. And then the other two were deckhands, basically. One of them was a deckhand in training, so she was learning how to do everything but the deckhands are basically responsible for anything that the first mate or the captain tell them to do which can be anything from setting the table for dinner or helping drop the anchor or tying the boat to a dock or washing the outside of the boat making sure that the boat stays in a good condition throughout the whole journey 
I'm sure they would say that they did a lot more than that. But, um, you know, even washing the bedding, once we got off the boat, the girl who was the deckhand in training knew that she was going to be spending at least four hours in a laundromat that day washing all the sheets. So uh, I don't know if you'd call it a glamorous life, but they were both pretty thrilled to be out there and to be seeing all that they saw while living aboard the boat. And then the third question Dana asked was, if you did anything like this again, would you want to go to Alaska or would you want to do it in another part of the world? I mean, I loved riding with this particular crew so much that I would like to actually do another journey with them specifically. But I don't know. I guess I'm open to whatever comes. (laughs) All right. Moving on. uh, Just a couple more questions from... Sarah. Sarah sent in quite a few. Sarah, I'm probably not going to answer all of your questions, but let's see. I will pick a couple of them. Um, Okay. One, you said, tell me about the weather and the daylight situation. I've always put off Alaska because I don't love the cold or long dark days. What was it like? So I did this journey in May and it was... Um, I mean, it was pretty gray and wet the whole time. Um, Not unpleasantly so. It wasn't freezing cold, but the temperatures were probably ranging from in the 40s to in the mid 50s. Didn't get much warmer than that. It didn't feel terribly unpleasant, but it was darker, like an overcast day. I did read that at least in the parts of Alaska we were in or around the summertime, the average temperatures are 55 degrees. Uh, That said, I didn't really feel like it was super, super dark when I was there. And I am used to weather like that because I live in Seattle. So for me, it wasn't that unpleasant. And I don't know, it wasn't, I didn't register like the long, long days or the long, long nights like people talk about with Alaska, but that may have been the time I was there and where I was. So I can't really answer much about that. A quick aside to help you shop for summer clothes of the best quality, you must check out Fairty. They're a family-run clothing company that prioritizes sustainable fibers and non-toxic dyes, and they even ship their clothes in an environmentally friendly way. I own three of their shirts, and I absolutely love them. In fact, Tiffany, I'm wearing one right now. They are so soft and comfortable, and they are the perfect blend of casual and classic. You know when you're searching for that ideal summer outfit, that shirt, that dress that feels like you've had them for years, maybe a gorgeous print that fits so perfectly and feels almost too good to be vintage, but still looks like it might be? Well, that's Fairty. And they're so confident in the quality of their stuff, they have a lifetime guarantee of quality. They'll replace or fix your clothes forever, no matter what. And to top it all off, Fairty is giving Bittersweet Life listeners 20% off. 20%. So shop now for new summer clothes. Head to fairdbrand.com and enter the promo code bittersweet at checkout for 20% off your order. Now, back to the show. Uh, let's see... And you also asked, who was the most unusual and memorable local that you met along the way? So we didn't actually meet a lot of locals because we were mostly on the boat. But Derek and I were wandering around Ketchikan the one afternoon that we were there. And Ketchikan is a place that a lot of the buildings have uh, plaques on them, historical markers. And we were standing outside of a bar called the Potlatch Bar 
which was built in the 1930s. And we were reading the history of the bar on the plaque by the door. I was particularly interested because um, one of the quotes about the bar was written by Jonathan Rabin, who is a uh, Pacific Northwest author. He wrote about that bar. His quote was, all the noise, violence, and energy of America trapped in a single room. Anyway, so we're reading that, and this man walks out. He's got a slight mohawk. I don't know how old he is, but he opens the door and he says, you can come in. It's not that scary in here. Why don't you come on in? I'll buy you around. And he was a man named Harold. He had been living in Ketchikan since 1964. I don't know. I started to think of him as a bright-eyed drunk person because he had so much energy, but was definitely, I don't know if he'd been there all morning, but seemed like it maybe, but very, very, very friendly and very warm. And we basically just talked to him about his life. He was from uh, Montana. He had moved to Ketchikan with his parents when he was a kid. His favorite song was still Meet Me in Montana. By day, he was an accountant. I mean, the bar itself was kind of an interesting place. It was definitely not the description of that Jonathan Rabin wrote, at least not in the day that we were there. It was pretty quiet afternoon. All the regulars were crowded into the far end of the bar drinking drinks that were a mix of coffee and uh, whiskey and who knows. By the door, there was a blackboard that had the names and numbers of work-seeking fishermen and deckhands. And they passed out wooden coins for free drinks, which seemed to be a tradition. Buying people rounds and buying so many rounds that you need to take a wooden coin with you that guarantees that you can have a free drink when you come back in. We left Harold with one of those free drink coins. All right. And one more from Sarah, just because we're getting a little long here. Okay. So Sarah's a longtime listener and knows that seeing humpback whales and diving with sharks were both bucket list items for me. You can hear about that shark diving experience uh, way back in the past on this show, I think around season two. So she asks, which one made the biggest impact? Are there differences in how you felt as you reached both of those long-term bucket list items? They were both absolutely incredible. And I don't think I could pick one or the other that made a bigger impact. Both of them are seared in my mind. I will never forget what it looks like to be under the water in a deep murky green and see a giant 12 to 14 foot great white shark appear first as a shadow and then materialize into a shark in front of me. It was one of the most incredible experiences to be able to witness them so up close. And then also, I will never forget the light, the blue light, the mist, the puffs of smoke of the whales in the distance as the boat pulls away, the image of seeing a whale jump completely out of the water. They're pictures that are remarkable, and I'm so grateful and happy that I pursued opportunities where seeing such things were possible. And I'm very happy that I have those images in my head. Greater than anything I could ever see on a screen, on television, any nature special, any Instagram post, seeing something like that 
in real life and in the feeling the full experience of it not just seeing a whale jump out of the water but seeing the entire landscape that surrounds the whale doing that feeling the air breathing the mist same with the shark feeling the coldness of the water water that was maybe 40 degrees 45 degrees smelling the sea lions in the distance feeling the chop of that boat i mean living experiences like that just cannot compare to anything you see on a screen it just can't it just can't and i'm just so grateful that i had the opportunity and that when i had the opportunity i sought out ways to see those things and also got a little lucky especially when it came to the whales all right we're going to leave it there Open to more questions if you have them. Feel free to let me know. You can take this trip. We'll put a link in the show notes. You can also find out about the boat I was on and see pictures with that link. And I'll leave you with one final sound. Since Dana asked about the sound of the motor, I didn't bring any recording equipment with me, but I did record the sound of the motor from laying in my bunk on my phone. And I will leave you with that sound. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Talk to you next week. Bye.